This project is supported by a charitable donation from Pfizer Limited. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This podcast brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity is for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. And for everyone in your life that's affected too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who are caring for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. It's a podcast for that moment and for what happens next. This episode is called Breast Cancer and Trying to Have Children. And I have two women who are going to talk about their own experiences, one of whom has had cancer three times. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much for joining us. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Karina Demon. Um, I was 33 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I didn't have any children at the time, but I'm now 41 and I have four children, uh, one three-year-old and three 11-month-old triplet boys. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and the triplets are asleep, which is why you're able to join us on this podcast. So we better crack on. Uh, Karina, you're very welcome. Rhiannon, hello. Hello, my name's Rhiannon Bradley. I'm a 37-year-old mum of one. I've been diagnosed with bre- uh, breast cancer twice, cancer three times, sadly for me. Um, but throughout my two breast cancer diagnoses, I've had my lovely daughter, Sarah, with me. So that's been interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm so glad to be here and happy to talk about um, cancer and fertility. Yeah. And just to talk through your cancers, you were 24 when you were told you had thyroid cancer. You were 32 when you found a lump in one of your breasts and had breast cancer. And then in October 2020, you were diagnosed with another breast cancer. It wasn't secondary breast cancer. It was a second breast cancer. Is that right? That's right. A totally different one. Just to Add them, add them all up. Wow. <laughs> Just to make things a bit more difficult. And yeah, goodness me. Um, so, Krina, did you mm-hmm. always want to have children? Yeah, I think it, I'm one of those people who used to sort of push a little buggy around when they were, you know, growing up and imagine kids in there and stuff clothes up my jumpers. And I'm Indian. So, you know, um, I come from a very big extended family where we sort of help raise the younger generation. And I've always sort of, you know, been there when my cousins were small and looked after them. And motherhood was always on the cards for me. You know, it was never something that was a maybe. So obviously when um, breast cancer came and the, the, the potential, um, you know infertility alongside it it was a massive blow mm. what about you Rhiannon did you always know you wanted to be a mum I think I'm possibly the most maternal person you'll ever meet really <laughs> I'm a primary school teacher I work with early years you know I absolutely I'm always everyone's mummy um I've come from a very big family um I'm the eldest of eight of us all together Gosh. and um I've always, yeah, I always just assumed, you know, yeah, I'd have a big family and lots of children around me. Um, but yeah, so when I was, yeah, so when cancer came and, and decided that that wasn't going to be the case, um, it was a lot to deal with for sure. I bet. Krina, when you were diagnosed, 
mm. because chemo was part of your treatment. Just explain to people what chemo does to the body, body in terms of your periods and fertility. Yeah, so... Um, I mean, I think there are two things that can happen when you have chemotherapy. So the one is that the chemotherapy can damage your ovaries. So they stop to they stop functioning and they stop producing eggs. Or what can also happen in a lot of um, young women who are hormonally sensitive is that their ovaries are shut down and they're put into a medical menopause. Um, and then that becomes, you know, a, a problem in terms of trying to conceive naturally. Um, and for me, you know, I was always on um, I was I was estrogen sensitive and every, you know, sorry that's all right that's your three-year-old Amala just told me just finished her dessert but um sorry uh yeah so for me I was um estrogen positive um eight out of eight and same and progesterone positive eight out of eight so I was put into a medical menopause um and then you know I guess there, there was the option to come off of my drugs and it was a conversation I often had with my oncologist of could I come off my medication to get pregnant but the risk of recurrence was too high at that point to, to, to stop the medication so there are two things that can happen either you're medically suppressed and unable to get pregnant or carry a pregnancy or you have ovaries that get damaged to such an extent that then you naturally can't um fall pregnant mm. so, so so I guess the two things were factors for myself and 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 and, and I, I don't know if um if, if you know that I, I then suffered heart failure as a result of chemotherapy and that happened three years after my diagnosis um and quite severely to, to the point I nearly lost my life to it but fortunately I recovered from it but heart failure that came secondary to chemotherapy meant I would never carry a pregnancy because of the effects on my heart and the medication I take to keep my heart working day to day. Goodness me. But before the the chemo started, you decided to go down the freezing your eggs route. So get the eggs out, harvest them, they call it, freeze them and hopefully use the embryos um to in a surrogate yeah i guess i think when i did the ivf the hope was that i'd put the embryos back in myself ah, that was okay that was always my hope thinking that i'd get through cancer treatment at a point in time and i'd be able to break and then carry a pregnancy um so that you know i always say this whenever someone asks me that going through that ivf process right before chemo is mind-blowingly complex and difficult and you know i I had so many days when I was like, why am I creating a life when I'm potentially not going to live to ever see it? And that whole, you know, preserving life and creating life at the same time is is just so difficult to comprehend. But, you know, for me, that that IVF was very much a part of my cancer treatment. I didn't ever enter it in in hope. You know, it was it was a bit like this has to be done. And, you know, if I survive, then maybe that's an insurance policy I can call upon. But it was never sort of a romantic process of let's try and make a baby. It was it was very much, you know, treatment driven for me. What about yourself, Rhiannon? Because you were 29 when you had IVF on the NHS. You had the diagnosis of thyroid cancer at 24. And so you needed help to become pregnant. Yeah. So one of the things my oncologist said to me right at the very beginning is, if you are thinking about you know, having any children, you need to get started now. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, I, I wanted to do lots of other things before I had children. You know, when you're younger. Um it wasn't quite the time that I wanted to start it. But yes, yeah, so um, it soon became apparent that I wasn't able to have a child naturally. So going through the IVF process was, you know, incredibly hard for anyone going through it. It's really emotionally draining. 
Um, it's physically very, very tough, um, especially after or before any cancer treatment has even started. It's bad enough on its own. Um, so, yeah, but I was very lucky. I was able to, at that point, I didn't have, uh, I wasn't diagnosed with any kind of estrogen sensitive breast cancer. I had my first breast cancer was the same as Krina's and I was eight out of eight on the scale and everything the same as you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I managed to kind of not have that worry and that pressure on me while I was creating my embryos. And um, I was lucky enough to get five and we had a fresh IVF transfer with Seren. And I was so lucky I was able to carry her myself without the feeling of being worried about it or mm. um, being told in some capacity that it wasn't safe. At that point, for me, it was safe to carry her. So I was lucky enough to be able to do that. However, they did say to me when I did then find out I had breast cancer, um, when my daughter Sarah was two, that potentially, you know, it, it could have triggered something along the way to have, you know, cooked contributed to my um breast cancer really I think I was always a bit of a probably a ticking time bomb for some kind of breast cancer um because my thyroid cancer was a endocrine cancer and the first breast cancer that I had was also a hormonal cancer and the two of them are sometimes linked so uh, which I wasn't aware of at the time otherwise potentially I may have uh, rethought it but probably not knowing me (laughs) I probably would have gone for it anyway (laughs) yeah because you wanted to have a child I was so yeah I and I you know I'd do it all again I'd do it all again I wouldn't I wouldn't not do it if I knew that I was going to get breast cancer I wouldn't you know she's such a blessing in my life that I would never think anything of it Mm. at all um and even so much that I went the next time I went to go and um when I got diagnosed with breast cancer we were looking to do another uh IVF transfer so it was yeah I definitely would have done it again (laughs) and I suppose we should say at this point um you both had partners you both had found the right person because a lot of people get a cancer diagnosis and they're either single or in a relationship that they're not necessarily committed to for life or vice versa um Mm. so in that sense that that was good Mm. yeah Exactly. Lucky, really. Yeah. yeah. And the ability to sort of then put embryos in the freezer rather than eggs, because an embryo has a higher chance of actually turning into a, ch- a baby and a fetus. Whereas, you know, with eggs, I know a lot of p- friends who are single and, and preserve them. And it's just an extra worry. Mm. What's the difference between an egg and an embryo? Uh, an embryos are fertilized so that the, then you take the egg out of the woman and then fertilize it with a sperm and put it in the freezer. And an egg is clearly just the egg from the from the female. Understood. So you found, you and your husband, Queen, have found a surrogate, didn't you? What happened then? So, yeah, we, you know, we found our surrogate in um, 2016 and I spent probably a year getting to know her. Um, you know, UK surrogacy is massively complex and uh, anyone who wants to know it, I'll, I'll direct them to sort of my own page or podcast and you can learn all about it. But um we found her, we then decided to thaw the embryos that we created in 2013 um, and we had 12 of them and um, they were frozen on day one, which means the day after, the day they were taken from me, they were put in the freezer then um, after fertilisation. And so to get have a successful transfer of IVF, they recommend you grow an embryo to five days. So they were taken out of the freezer alongside that my, my surrogate was having medication to sort of get her body in the right place to accept a pregnancy, uh, to accept an embryo. Mm. And um, 
we we sort of got to the point that we got to day five and we had four, we had four or five pretty good quality embryos by the end of that um one of them was then transferred into my surrogate and um you know, it's the most anxious moment. I think anyone who goes through IVF will tell you that that wait post-transfer to finding out the result is excruciatingly painful and, you know, full of such angst. But but when someone else is doing the, am I pregnant? It's, it's just an extra level of, you know, is this going to work? And, you know, I think when you've got those embryos created post-cancer, you know, pre-chemo, your chance of going to get more or creating more is very limited. So we went into our transfer knowing that this is it, that, you know, we haven't got any other, any other, any other backup plan. And once the one embryo was in our, in our surrogate, we then lost every other embryo that we had. So all hope was on her falling naturally pregnant. So hang on a minute. What do you mean that they were lost? So they, uh, it's a, it, it's a bit of a funny, but there was some sort of miscommunication with my clinic, and they were meant to refreeze our eggs, our, our good quality embryos, and they didn't get refrozen. They were allowed to perish, and so, um, you know, oh I didn't have any God. anything after that, and you know, I, I every hope was then on this one embryo, and the pressure not not just for us as a couple, but for the woman who was trying to get pregnant for us was immense. Mm. But you know. I'm very, very fortunate that after, you know, five days, we, Ina, my surrogate tested and, and she, she had a positive pregnancy test. Thank and God. Yeah. And by t- day 10, we had a very strong pregnancy that was confirmed by blood tests. And, you know, it's the, it's the most beautiful moment of my life, but, but also one of the, one of the hardest things to have had to accept that, that, that we lost our, well, we lost our potential sibling for, for, for Amala. But, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so difficult but you know one thing I say to many people who do come and ask me about this whole process of chemo and IVF and surrogacy and some people don't have that option to harvest their eggs I think that's really important to acknowledge that they just don't have the time and I sit here today as a mama for mixed family so my triplets are born through egg donation from an egg from an egg donor and my daughter is born from my own eggs and actually you know the guys who listen to this and can't do fertility preservation, I would love them to know that you can still be a mum because motherhood is not equated to genetics. And, you know, I I went into IVF with such fear that I was aggravating my cancer because I was pumping myself with hormones. And I wonder now with the power of hindsight that a donor could have made me a mum in the same way. Would I have actually done it? Like, you know. Yeah, that's it, interesting. It, it's something that I wish oncologists would speak to young women about more, that there are more that more than there's more ways of becoming a mum than just putting yourself through IVF and getting an egg out of your body because, you know, you can always use a donor and still become a mum in, in, and be, be equally as, you know, as proud of that yeah, form of mother. Of course, of course. Whether you are back at work, travelling or planning your wardrobe for a special occasion, take time to express yourself through your clothes. None of us want to be stereotyped. We are all individuals. And the designers at Marina Rinaldi create collections that can help you step away from the everyday to the new you. When you were told you had cancer for a second time, this was the first time you had breast cancer, and that actually having, trying for a baby would most likely trigger another breast cancer diagnosis, Mm. obviously you had Seren. But what did you think when they told you that? Now, to be totally honest with you, I was absolutely devastated at the fact that it would 
mean that I couldn't have another child probably more so than the actual cancer diagnosis and that might sound weird but it it felt for me like that was the biggest blow because it was such a you know I knew how hard it is to get to that point and you know we were so ready and I really wanted to give her another uh, give her a sibling but yeah I was absolutely devastated I cried and I cried and I cried um, and I tried to have conversations with my oncologist and my team about it but they weren't actually very interested in going there at that point because they were just trying to focus on on my cancer which was an aggressive you know grade three <laughs> breast cancer which I obviously needed to focus on but I was so consumed by this feeling of grief that I had lost a family almost that I had been dreaming about or lost an opportunity to be able to do something I know is so special and I loved so much um I was obviously upset that I got diagnosed with cancer again but my progno- I knew my prognosis was was pretty good mm. um, in terms of being able to treat it. And for me, I always think, well, you know, what's the? It's not the worst thing someone's going to tell me, and I'm going to be able. I'm going to be okay. But I was, yeah, absolutely devastated. I really did grieve. I think that's the best way of putting mm-hmm. it. That's such an interesting, family. yeah, mm. such an interesting choice of words. You mean you were grieving for for the life, the family that you thought you would have, and now were told you couldn't. Yeah. And I went through all those stages of grief as well. I went through the denial. I went through eventually to acceptance, mm. um, which for me was the door that kind of opened me up to other opportunities of creating families. Um, and I was very lucky because I did, you know, I have got four embryos frozen already. So I have that option of surrogacy if I wanted to. But I've also looked down, you know, other routes like adoption and fostering and just even just thinking, well, I've got a child shall we just you know stop mm-hmm. there yeah. um and I've got two cats and you know yeah, I, yeah, I, I've got a lovely yeah. life um so there's always options and like Karina was saying you know it, it, there is just if you really want to create your family there are ways of doing that and it doesn't have to just be like the normal the normal mm, way, the conventional way. have yeah. you had both of you have you had people saying after you had Amala after you had Saren well, look, just be great. Just be thankful. Just be grateful. Uh-huh. Oh, so all the time, all the time. <laughs> and I actually think, you know, when you go through surrogacy, it's really difficult, that question, because if you are a healthy person and you have one baby and there's an instinct to have a second baby, no one questions why you're having a second child. But for some reason, just because cancer's crossed your path or infertility's crossed your path, a second child becomes something that people can question. And you're like, that maternal instinct doesn't change or should I say parental because it's from both parts that parental instinct doesn't change just because you've had a diagnosis of some sort and actually when it comes to surrogacy that you actually ask yourself that question as well as other people asking that question because one financially it's really difficult to go for two journeys two if you have to find a second surrogate we had to have two different surrogates for our journeys that is it takes so much time and effort to build a surrogate relationship that you have to be so invested and committed to this creating of a family. It's not easy. So, and then the third thing is you feel like, are you being selfish? Because actually there are loads of other people out there who haven't got one baby. So am I being selfish by calling on a surrogate to actually then carry a second child for me? And you you like, there's so much, so much to think about, uh, you know, that like, am I being selfish? You know, are you? 
I don't believe so because you know if anyone who's healthy has the right to have more than one child then so do I and I you know in in, in UK-based surrogacy it's altruistic it's you know both parties are absolutely con- you know doing this from a place of love and if someone didn't want to carry a second child for me they wouldn't have showed up because they'd say no I want to carry for someone who's got no children there are a lot of surrogates who see the value in siblings and and creating families with siblings so you know they'll look for people who've had one child so you know I very quickly realized that I wasn't being selfish myself but yes there were people out there who who would question why we would go to the extents of spending that amount of money and putting ourselves through that sort of emotional trauma of a second journey um, absolutely, it was asked, you know. And Rhiannon, what about you? Did we, did you have people saying that to you? Yeah, I, you know, I have done. Generally, I've got a very supportive network around me, so there's not been so much of that. But you know, I'm sure plenty of people think, "Oh, why is she? You know, why is she bothering? You know, she's already got a, a lovely, healthy six-year-old child and has able to car- been able to carry herself." I felt a lot of guilt talking about. In particular, within the cancer community, knowing that there are people who are unable to have children, will probably never have children, will definitely not be able to safely carry a child. Um, so I've I've felt a lot of guilt in terms of talking and expressing my feelings about it in in on a cancer platform. Um, but you know, we're all individuals, and we're all different, and we all have different you know um, family makeups and wants and desires in our life. Um, so, yeah, I just think, you know, if people are are able to provide a really loving space for a child, then I just think that's, that's only a good thing. Mm. And you were about to go down the, the surrogacy route when you found out you had cancer for a third time, which was the second breast cancer, which is just unbelievable, I- Rhiannon. The universe, what's it doing? It's just like <laughs> constantly stepping in my path. Um, yeah, no, uh, yes, the second time when I was diagnosed with my second breast cancer, um, we had been chatting to this lovely surrogate and things that really good to, you know, kind of um, do a, it's called a get to know when you just start getting to know somebody and you talk about the ins and outs of, of how you're going to organise yourself. Um, yeah, so we were on, having this lovely chat and relationship with a wonderful surrogate. And then I find out that I've got breast cancer again. And actually, again, obviously I was upset about the breast cancer diagnosis, but I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I, re- I've, I really felt connected with this lady. It looked like everything was going to, you know, we were going to be able to do this wonderful journey together. And once again, I had the disappointment of that not coming through and then cancer getting in the way um and it was almost like I had to relive all that like Mm -hmm. I was saying earlier that grief reliving the grief of well that isn't going to happen now and will it ever happen and being really really deeply disappointed and one of the hardest things was telling the surrogate that I've been talking to um that you know we would have to stop and I didn't want to get in the way of her dream of being a surrogate so that's what you know ultimately she wanted to Mm -hmm. do so um I I I said you know let's part ways and now she's doing a lovely journey with somebody else and the person that I meant to be doing mine with will come when they need to come is what I genuinely believe maybe she'll maybe she'll come back after that journey you never know and I'm still I still chat to her meeting up yeah and do some nice things because you create these friendships Mm. and bonds with people it's not just oh will you you know it's not just oh will you carry my baby it's actually it's all based on friendship like you said it's altruistic Mm. people 
you create such yeah deep bonds with people so that's how Rhiannon and I met actually wasn't it online through trying to become parents through surrogacy and like I I reckon she'll come back if it's meant to be it's gonna it's gonna happen for you Mm. yeah I'm I'm confident that whoever it is you know I believe they'll they'll come my way but yeah it was definitely I was very shocked and upset obviously with the diagnosis but also because I had to you know, stop again. <laughs> Karina, is there any stigma about egg donation, about surrogacy within the Asian community? It's um, it, There's so much stigma. It's really heartbreaking, actually, that, you know, people in my community typically only see, you know, parenthood as, as a female and a male creating a child together. Uh, you know, even IVF is fairly stigmatised. Um so when, you know, when we went through the journey, it was it's really difficult to sort of be open initially because you're so fear filled for what that backlash might be or what people might say or the judgment that might be passed for the choices that you make. And my first journey was very, very private. And it wasn't until Amala was born that I really socialized how we'd become parents. But, you know, I, I, I've learned that from my experience of, of, of having this child, that once a child was here, no one actually really had anything negative to say. So the judgment wants to come before you actually embark on this journey. And when this beautiful child's here, everyone just wants to love that child. So I've almost made it my life's work to you know, educate my community on alternate routes to parenthood and to, to destigmatize it because um, my the triplets, you know, I went to such great lengths to find a donor of colour, like a cat. In the end, my donor was flown in from South Africa. We flew to Cyprus. We had treatment there and our surrogate was from the UK. Like we went across the globe to get this donor who was Indian so that my children would look the same as Amala and myself and my husband. But the triplets have, you know, you cannot mess with genetics. They've come out. They are white, milky white skinned and piercing blue eyes. And you, you know, you would look at them and, you know, everyone will look at them and just think, what's going you know that that there must be more to this story because they na- don't look like a you know a natural family in terms of their color mm. and their hair and all of that but but again you know you can go to all those lengths and and it doesn't cut you know the result isn't what you expected it to but the love is no different to what what if they had come out looking exactly like me and that's why I think it's really important for people to know there are other routes and the the love you feel for these children is no different to to, to being a parent in any other way and can can we go back one step um Karina mm -hmm. if we may uh in terms of the triplets so you've you've had Amala um and that was your own egg that was fertilized by your husband's sperm yeah yeah in terms of your triplets boys Mm. that was somebody else's egg and your husband's sperm yeah and that's why the boys are white skinned and blue eyed well or was it not not, was that not the plan that wasn't the plan so the girl who gave me her egg was indian she she was indian black hair brown skin brown eyes but but there must be, you know, a gene in my husband's biology and in her biology to have blue eyes. Both parents have to hand down a recessive gene that's not so a gene that's not dominant in any part of their in any either party. So they both have carried recessive genes through their ancestors, and then my children have been born with these blue eyes, God. despite both parents having brown eyes. Yeah. And you know, it's a, in the in our in the Asian community, like physicality is so 
important for some reason. Like the way we look is just so important. And I don't understand it because, you know, I just think it's wrong. But yeah. It's the way it is. It's the way it is at the moment. It's the way it is right now. And, you know, fortunately, there are people who are vocalising, you know, mm. alternate routes to parenthood and the colour of your children doesn't matter. And the way you have your children doesn't matter. You know, it, it doesn't. I think the I think the big issue is that when you come from um, migrant parents, you've they've seen a lot of hardship in their life and they've built up a resilience and they've built up this need to be perfect. And, and, and that has fed into our generation and we feel like we have to have brilliant jobs and we have to be successful and we cannot get sick I mean even cancer is quite taboo because you know we're trying to be these like strong strong people who who nothing's going to phase us because our parents have been there and seen like so much warmer um that then infertility or the inability to have a child is it's almost like that is a massive failure because do you know what you're meant to be able to do everything you're meant to be high-flying professional you meant to have your own children you meant to buy a big house and have a nice car and have a status in society there's so much pressure on the children on children of migrant parents and when something goes wrong you know there's this perception that you're damaged in some way right. shape or form. and and that's where that's where I think this stigma around sort of alternate routes to parenthood really manifests from I need to go back another step as well how did you end up with three babies well that's a question isn't it <laughs> That is the question. So we were, our, our treatment was overseas and um, the practice was to put two embryos into, in, in for transfer. So a very clear conversation with the consultant who was treating us. And he said, if you put one embryo in, you will have a 60% chance of a single pregnancy, but a 40% chance of no pregnancy. Mm. If you put two in, you'll have an 80% chance of a single pregnancy and a 20% chance of non-identical twins, i.e. both embryos take. Okay. So we had we had prepared ourselves for a potential twin pregnancy, but we got home, took a pregnancy test, found out we were pregnant. Six weeks later, had our you know first scan, and there were three heartbeats. So <gasps> what had happened? Yeah. So what happened was both embryos took, mm. and one decided to split. So yeah. we have one set of identical twins and one single, um, singleton, which is just. The, it's just mind blowing. Like I look at them every day, and I just think, you know, how is this my life? Like, how have we gone from infertility and cancer to, you know, a house full of love and four children? I'm just so so grateful yeah, for it all. Yeah, absolutely. A bit like Rhiannon, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I've seen some really dark times, mm. but I wouldn't change a thing because every single, every single thing that went wrong led to to this and this family that I have in my life and you know the gratitude and love that fills my home it, it all came from all of the adversity before it it is incredible your story Karina honestly I just I listen to <laughs> it you is literally think, a film oh. or a book isn't it <laughs> 100% need to get it published in some way but yeah no yes absolutely I definitely um can can relate to everything you're saying obviously not in the in the same way um with as many children and everything else but yeah it's 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 a really tough world to find yourself in I think cancer and infertility and for everybody they're going to experience that in a in their own way and some people it will affect more than others but you're just well both of us we're both we're both stories of how we've been able to overcome adversity in that way and really set our minds on what we want and and I think acceptance again. That's the that's what I feel. As long as you accept your situation and then find practical ways of moving forward from that, um, 
you know, you're able to make these amazing things happen like you have. Like now you've got these four amazing children and (laughs) it's just incredible. I want to ask you both, for those who are listening right now who have just been diagnosed with breast cancer or are going through treatment and are worried about being able to have a baby, what advice would you give? Rhiannon, why don't I start with you? So I think the main advice I would give is allow yourself to have the feelings that you're feeling. It's normal. Um, If you're feeling upset, if you're feeling worried, anxious, scared, allow yourself to have that that time to, to process them. Don't bury them deep down. Don't put them to the back of your mind. Allow yourself to have those feelings because there's nothing worse than suppressed emotion, is there? Um, but I'd also say, you know, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. And maybe like we've been saying, look to another path to fulfill your dream of being a parent. Um, create a support network. I think support networks are key um, in whatever capacity that's going to be in, whether that's your family, whether it's online. Um, and yeah, be really kind to yourself. Um, it can be really draining emotionally and physically um, and spiritually. And yeah, just make sure you look after yourself and be kind. There's just so much going on. Um, but don't lose hope acknowledging where you are and going through that grieving process is really important um and if you do then go on to have a parent a child through something like surrogacy it's important that you've grieved everything including the ability to carry a child because you cannot enter surrogacy feeling jealous for the woman who's doing what you always wanted to do so i always say to everyone sort of go through the grief process and make sure you you, you come out the other side of that before you look to to, to look for alternate routes to parenthood and then um just like Rhiannon says you know um I wish it happened in in actual in clinic you know find the stories of hope because they are what will pull you through you know your oncologist will give you the stats of things going wrong you 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 take that like I have this little folder in nice to know but do not follow in my brain here <laughs> you put it in there and then find the story of hope and and hold on to that story of hope and you know, my life, um, my life motto or quote is just hold on pain ends. And, you know, that's H-O-P-E. Hold on to it. And, you know, you can become a parent. And equally, if you just choose not to become a parent, that is also fine. You know, it's your choice. And it's for some, you know, it, they don't want to go that down that route of having children after such trauma. And that's fine and make your peace with that. But if you do want to have children, then look for the stories of hope that resonate with you, be that surrogacy, be that adoption, be that fostering, whatever it is, just social media is brilliant for that. I mean, all of us sort of have met via social media and I feel so passionate about the tribe I've created there and that have supported me through infertility and cancer because, you know, a lot of your people in your close network pre-cancer won't get it. They won't understand stand it so you need to you know Rhiannon and I have been talking for years we've never met in person I mean actually it's the first time we're having a video chat with each other but we've like when she was looking into surrogacy like my doors were always open and it's that community that will pull you through so you know hold on the pain will end and find your stories of hope and finally how is your health Rhiannon yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm having my very last cancer treatment for this cancer tomorrow. Um, so, woohoo! Everything <laughs> will be, my pick line will be being taken hey. out. Everything's going to be crossed and all the lines, everything done. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited. Hopefully, 
uh, all positive. Everything's been good so far. And that's the end of that. I had a double mastectomy, which helped as well. Okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm doing very well. Thank you, Victoria. I'm now um, in sort of coming up to year eight of remission from my breast cancer. And I um, I touched on the fact I'd gone through heart failure um, as a result of chemotherapy. And that was that was really scary. But I celebrated five years post um, heart failure yesterday. And there was times when I told we wouldn't make it to 24 hours, definitely wouldn't make it beyond two years. And here we are five years on. So, um, you know, living living a really fulfilled life and, you know, supported by the medical teams that continued to support us through our through our journeys but you know making the most of every minute i'm so happy to hear that and i'm so happy for you both thank you so much for talking to us on this podcast i really really appreciate it if you want to find out more information about breast cancer then please do contact the future dreams breast cancer charity you can contact me anytime on twitter or instagram i'm at vic derbyshire and and then came Breast Cancer, is a Factory Originals and Six Foot Six production. Ladies, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text We Care to 7500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text cost your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.